The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let me add my welcome to uh, that of... uh Professor Kim, we are genuinely delighted to have uh, each and every one of you uh, here. Um, We know some of you will be here for two years, some for three years, some for four years, some maybe like me for 33 years. Um, uh, But we're uh, delighted to have you here. And one of the uh, events that the faculty particularly looks forward to each year is our gathering this evening uh, for the student reception uh, where we can Uh, hear from each one of you a little bit about how the Lord has brought you to this place and what you hope to uh, accomplish here and how you hope to serve the Lord in the future. So uh, this is always always a wonderful time of beginning for us, and uh, we want to begin by looking into God's Word and reminding ourselves of the key reason uh, that we're here together. I want to read uh, with you this morning Psalm 138. One of the things you'll learn is that the president of the seminary is obsessive about certain things. Uh, One is uh, about Amy Semple McPherson. That's a long story. Um, You'll get introduced to that later. But also about the Psalms. Um, Being obsessive about the Psalms is a much better obsession than my first one. uh, uh, But the Psalms are uh, a great resource for the people of God, somewhat neglected, I think, in our day. And uh, so I wanted to turn to a Psalm this morning. I want to read Psalm 138 with you. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Uh, This psalm uh, is one that often comes to my mind at the beginning of the school year because uh, it uh, talks about the Word of God. And the primary reason I think probably we're all here is to study the Word of God. Uh, The whole seminary curriculum, we could say, is designed to make us all better students and teachers of the Word of God. Um, That's obvious when you're studying Greek and Hebrew. It's uh, obvious when you're in a New Testament class or an Old Testament class. But it's true of the rest of the curriculum as well. We study systematic theology as an exercise not in creative thinking, but as an exercise in trying to bring together the fullness of the biblical revelation to understand how it all holds together. Uh, We study apologetics not simply to know what the world is saying 
uh, contrary to our Christ and his word, but to figure out how to engage the message of the Bible with what the world is saying and thinking. And, of course, we study everyone's favorite uh, course, church history. Uh, Julius didn't bother to mention that I'm professor of church history here as well as president. Uh, We study church history because it's a record of how Christians through the ages in a variety of cultures have studied the word and understood the word and sought to apply the word. And so our whole curriculum in many, many ways revolves around the word. Practical theology is an exercise in studying how we can best communicate in preaching and teaching and in other ways that word uh, to the church and to the world. So the word stands at the center of our curriculum, and I'm sure one of the reasons you came to this institution is that you were drawn by our commitment, our confidence uh, to the word of God uh, as the true revelation of God, as the inerrant uh, revelation of God uh, to us. And uh, I am always struck by verse 2 of Psalm 138 as it celebrates the word. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. That's the English Standard Version translation of that text. It's an interesting translation. It underscores the centrality of the word, but it doesn't really translate what the Hebrew text says. And I mention that not to uh, show off my Hebrew skills, uh, but to suggest that the study of the Hebrew language is really valuable in being able to draw closer to the genuine meaning of the Word of God. I'm sure you've already experienced, those of you who've begun your study of Greek, that experience with Greek. Uh, It's not that the whole world is turned upside down, but you have that experience of being able to draw closer to what the original authors of Scripture were actually meaning. That last part of verse 2 of Psalm 138, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word, um, is pretty much the way the NIV translates this uh, text as well. And It involves changing only one consonant of the Hebrew text to get that translation. What's a consonant among friends? Another possible translation is, you have exalted your word above all the heavens. You only have to change one vowel to get that translation. And we know the vowels aren't originally inspired in the Hebrew text, and so, you know, that gives us a little more wiggle room, perhaps. But it's intriguing to pause for a minute with what the Hebrew actually says in the versions that we possess. And what the version, what the Hebrew Masoretic text actually says is, you have exalted your word above all your name. You have exalted your word above all your name. Now, you can see what the translators decided. David can't have meant that. That the word is exalted above the name of God? Everyone knows that 
pious Hebrews regarded the, the, the name of God as so holy that they came not even to pronounce it over time. So surely David cannot be saying that the word is exalted over the name. Or maybe if we step back and ask, if he actually did say that, what could he have been meaning? Maybe he does have something to say to us there. And I'd suggest to you that maybe what David is saying here is, O Lord, in a profound sense, your word is even more important than your name because we only know your name through your word. There's a fundamental importance to your word so critical because it's only from your word that we know who you are. We don't know that left to ourselves. We don't know your name on our own. It's only by revelation that we know the name, the character, the purpose, the will of God. And and so I think it's perhaps not so surprising that, that David would use this surprising, arresting way of speaking about the word of God to challenge us to think about the word, to remind us how important the word of God is to God. Because it's only when we know that word and stick to that word that we really know God as he is. One of the things that often strikes me is to find people who are reacting to some passage of the Bible, often interviewed on TV. I don't know where I find these people, but... um, and, and then they hear something from the Bible and they say, well, my God would never do that, would never say that, would never be like that. And it's very illustrative of a human tendency. We call it idolatry, to make God in our own image, according to our own likeness, according to our own likes. And the importance of the word is always to challenge our way of thinking that we might think more the way God thinks. And so he exalts his word, even above his name, this text says, because we only know the name of God through the word. And we know the name of God through the word that we might have the essential message of the word that God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what he wants to say in his word to his people. That's what he wants his name to to mean for his people, what he really, in a sense, wants his name to be for his people. We know it's not coincidental that he named his son Jehovah Saves because God is full of steadfast love and faithfulness for his people. That's what the word conveys to us. One of the things I hope you'll learn as you go along at seminary is that at least I've become convinced of this that none of these psalms is placed randomly in the Psalter. That each psalm is illumined to some extent by the psalms that surround it. And so when we hear David begin this psalm by saying, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the gods I sing your praise. If we know the Psalter, we we pause just a minute because we know that in Psalm 137, we had the description of Israel in exile, unable to sing the songs of Zion in a strange land. 
And Psalm 138 is not written after Psalm 137, but it's placed after Psalm 137 to remind us that though the people of God go through times of suffering and exile and distress, God will gather his people. He will give them a new song. He will cause them to sing before the gods of this world. He will give them a message when we understand the meaning of his word so that we can go forth with a ministry to make God known in this world. And that that ministry will come with power and with blessing so that instead of having to sing all the time Psalm 137 about how uh, the capital of God has been cast down and we cannot sing, instead we'll be able to sing. Verse 4, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth. The kings of the earth may take counsel together against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. But in the last day, the Lord will be victorious. Victorious not just in the destruction of the wicked, but victorious in having gathered a great people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, from every social circumstance, even the kings of the earth, to sing his praises to exalt his name, to sing of his steadfast love and faithfulness, to make his word known. And you're here to take part in that wonderful work of God, to train yourself to be the best preacher, the best teacher, the best missionary, the best person to use your gifts, to know the word so that God's steadfast love and faithfulness will be exalted. May the Lord bless you richly in that great endeavor. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh Lord, we are so very thankful for your word. And we pray that as you have exalted it, so it might be exalted in our hearts and minds. And we pray, O oh Lord, that in the days of study to come, when sometimes things seem tedious and sometimes things seem difficult and discouraging, that we might remember that we are part of a great enterprise to learn your word, to love your word, and to fit ourselves to be faithful communicators of that word. We thank you, O Lord, uh, for the word, and above all, we thank you for its message, that you are a God of steadfast love and faithfulness in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we pray that you'll help us to take that message to a needy world. Bless us, we pray, in that great end, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2007, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.